Welcome to the New Freedom Church Podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. Well, our word for this year as a congregation and our focus corporately is presence. But not just any presence. We are going to look at and focus upon. We are going to fix our eyes upon the presence of God. Recognizing the presence of God in every moment of our lives. If we will become more aware, if we will become more questionnaire, a little more curious about what God is doing, then we can see through the veil that God is at work, even in those quiet times, even in those moments that hurt, even in those moments of joy, God is present every moment of our lives. Last week, I shared with you how the Exodus story uh, is, is uh, bringing out through the Passover and how when we celebrate Passover or the Lord's Supper, we do so in reverence of his very real spiritual presence that is with us. Though his body is absent, his presence is real. And so I illustrated for you what that Passover looked like. And today, I want to continue on that storyline in the promise of God's presence. Everybody say, the promise of God's presence. Following the Red Sea crossing, there was this mighty deliverance of God's people out of Egyptian slavery. And we see that the people of God crossed through on dry land, and they got to a place called Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was not a a long-term stopover point. It was supposed to be just a couple of days that they were to camp there and then go on into a promised land days later. But we find that they actually camped there for about 40 long years. And they did experience the presence of God, but there were some other encounters that were not such a highlight in their experience. At this place, at Mount Sinai, we see that when Moses was called and ordained by God to lead the people out of slavery, there was this joyful jubilation. There was this excited rallying cry that Moses, he is our leader. God, he is our God. And everybody was so thrilled at the fact that now they had this freedom that they had never had before. They were so thrilled at the fact that God had done this mighty deliverance that Pharaoh and all of his army were drowned in the Red Sea and they were now on dry land. They were victorious. But it took about a few days, maybe a week or so, until that that jubilation, that celebration turned into complaint and consternation. That that high heart of, of expectancy that was finally fulfilled, the people began to murmur and complain and grumble. And, and they even got to the point of losing all faith in Moses and trust in God. It was a short span of time from their high, high mountain to their deep, low valley. Now, I want you to think about something for just a minute. If you will go back and chronicle some things in your life, if you will think back two years or three years or even five years ago about some prayers that you prayed, about some things that you were asking God, you were laying out, as it were, a fleece before God, saying, God, if you will do this, then I will do that. God, if, if you will hear my cry, if you will hear my plea, this is what I desire of you. How many of us have prayed prayers that we look back and we say, oh yeah, I prayed that, and today I'm walking in the fulfillment of a answered prayer. We can see that, right, in our lives. We are walking in the fulfillment of an answered prayer. These people who were delivered through the Red Sea had prayed and cried out to God, get this, them and their ancestors for 400 years. 
They had prayed for deliverance. They had prayed for God to set them free from slavery for over 400 years. And just within a couple weeks of that deliverance, they found themselves grumbling and complaining and moaning. Now, I know nobody at New Freedom Church does that in their lives, but I'm just illustrating for you in the Bible times, that's what they did. I'm illustrating for you this human condition that when we have a prayer that is answered, when we have a a desire fulfilled, we quickly forget about what it was like in the pain and the struggle or in the turmoil of prayer, and we go into a different place. We get maybe ungrateful, unthankful, and these people found themselves losing faith in Moses and trust in God. And so they decided that they would take matters into their own hands. Again, I know nobody around here takes matters in their own hands, but they decided since God was seemingly not uh, answering their prayers anymore in this dry and weary land, and Moses had gone to the mountain, God called Moses to have a summit at the top of the mountain, and he talked with, with Moses, but Moses was gone on that mountain longer than what they'd anticipated. He didn't give them a timeline. He just said, I need to go meet with God, but they kind of grew weary of waiting for a word to come back from Moses. And so they took matters in their own hands. And we see this in the account of the golden calf incident in the scriptures, that they literally made a God that they could see, a God that they could touch, a God that they could feel. Now, there is nothing wrong with desiring a God that you can be acquainted with, a God that you can see, that you can feel, a God that, that is, is real and active. And so they felt a little bit distanced from the presence of God. Moses was away talking to God. And on that mountain, we know that Moses received the Ten Commandments. He received instructions for a tabernacle of worship to be built, all kinds of other dietary and ceremonial religious rules and instructions that God had given Moses. Many great things were revealed to him, but these people on the lower side of the mountain decided to take matters in their own hands and they made themselves a calf of gold, a God in an image that they could see, that they could touch, that they could feel. When Moses finally descended down the mountain of meeting, he carried with him the visible and tangible presence of God. This wasn't the only time in Moses' life and career that he experienced the tangible presence of God, but Moses carried with him something that would represent a tangible touch and presence of God. You know what it was? Two tablets hewn out of stone, given to him by God, and the scriptures tell us that on those tablets were written the commands by the finger of God. Read it for yourself. It says that they were written by the finger of God. The literal, tangible presence of God had inscribed upon these stones. And Moses, when he heard, when he got close enough to the camp, he heard that there was a sound in the camp. And he looked over and he said, this isn't a kind of a sound of a war cry. It's not even a kind of sound of celebration. Something is strange happening in the camp. And he got down close enough and he recognized that the people were worshiping a false god. An idol is what they had taken up in their lives. And so Moses, out of anger, it says that his anger burned hot. He took the stones that were in his hand and he responded in a human way that many of us would respond in our anger. And he cast those stones on the ground and he broke all 10 commandments. Many people say, Moses, the only guy that broke all 10 commandments at the same time. He broke them right there. And what this was symbolically representative of was God's people, the Israelites, had broken relationship with Yahweh. The commandments were broken. What was written with the finger of God was now broken and in pieces. It's interesting to note that the only time that we see Jesus writing anything in the New Testament, we know Jesus is the the manifest presence of God. 
And so the only time we see Jesus writing anything is when he stooped down to write in the dirt. It was a time when others would want to cast judgment and cast stones, casting of stones, cast stones upon a woman caught in the act of adultery. And he's writing in the dust. Jesus never published a book. Contrary to what some people believe, Jesus didn't write the Bible. <laughs> he never published a book. The only time we ever see him write was when he stooped down, he wrote in the dust, but finally it blew away. But the finger of God wrote upon these tablets and the manifest presence of God was visible and shown to the people, a cloud by day, fire by night, and now in these stones, they're crushed. And so what has happened when they took matters in their own hands, they made a God that they could worship, Moses cast them down, they cast the stones down, he ground down the golden calf and made the people drink of the ashes of that calf. This was a ceremonial ritual that they went through. But what happens next is all about presence. We find this in Exodus 33 and verse one. Again, there is a conversation that takes place between God and Moses. Let's read it, it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying, to your descendants, I will give it. Verse two, and I will send my angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go out into a land of milk and honey, for I will not go up in your presence, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Now watch, here's what happened. God is saying to Moses, I gave you an initial promise. Weeks into the journey, you've already taken your own path. The people have already rebelled. They've already complained. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send out my angel before you. I'm going to drive out the inhabitants of that land. The land is still promised to you. You can go up and you can take it. But my presence, watch, my presence will not be in your midst. This was important. Because the central mark of everything that God has done to this point from the burning bush where Moses received the revelation to go to Pharaoh and to tell him, let my people go all the way through the crossing the Red Sea, now in the mountain receiving the commands and the tabernacle instructions and all this has been all crouched, get this, in the presence of God. But God said, I'm gonna send out my angel before you. The land is gonna be eradicated of the enemies, but my presence will not go up with you. And here's what he told Moses, the reason that my presence cannot be in your midst is because of my mercy. Because if my presence were there in the midst of you with these people going on this journey, because they are stiff-necked, it would break out and they wouldn't survive. So in the mercy of God, he was going to withdraw his presence so that the people could have passage. Now watch what happens. Moses is in this conversation with God He's always experienced the instruction of God and gone to the people and talked to the people, but God calls the people a stiff-necked people versus a sinful people. Though they were a sinful people, he identifies them as a stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked is, is what they would use in, in um, uh, cattle kind of language. In, in this day and age, they would, they would take uh, two oxen and they would put a yoke on their neck and they would plow. And so as slaves in Egypt, they knew what it was like to grow uh, produce for the land and all these kind of things. And so a stiff-necked animal was one that was obstinate, 
one that argued, one that didn't want to do what the master wanted it to do. And so a stiff-necked animal was not going to let you put a yoke on its neck. And here's what God is telling Moses. This people, though they are sinful, God doesn't identify them as that. He identifies them as obstinate, as rebellious, a people who will not take proper instruction. Now, if, you, if you, you rewind a little bit, you can see that at, at Passover, the people observed the instruction to kill the lamb, to put the, the blood on the doorpost. They observed the instruction, and what happened? There was a blessing. Every time an instruction was observed, then there was a blessing. Every time that it was ignored, there was the opposite of a blessing. There was a curse. When they finally do get into the land 40 years later, it says that they have to drive out the inhabitants little by little. Now that's important because God told Moses on this part of the story that I will send my angel before you. He'll drive out all those other inhabitants and you can go have the land. This is the land of promise. This is a three-day journey that they should have gone from Sinai to the promised land. They stayed at that mountain for 40 long years. And what ended up happening was that they themselves had to drive out the inhabitants, the Bible says, little by little. And here's what God is telling Moses and by default telling us. God is saying, you can do it my way or you can do it the hard way. Amen. And I'm not saying that God's way is the easy way, but it's the right way. It's the best way. It's the blessed way Amen. when you do it God's way. And he still allows them 40 years later to have a land of promise, but they could have possessed, they could have taken hold of, they could have enjoyed it much, much sooner than what they enjoyed it. God's presence was going to be too much for a disobedient people, so he wasn't going to go in their midst. Now, let me just dialogue with you for a moment about the three presences of God. There are three types of God's presence. Number one is the omnipresence of God. Omni means everywhere, presence means present right there. The omnipresence of God means that God is all the time everywhere. Now, how he can do that, I don't understand. I don't know because you and I, uh, we can only be in one place at one time, but God can be in all places at all time. King David said it like this. He said, if I ascend to the heights of the heaven, behold, Lord, you are there. If I descend to the depths of hell and I make my bed in hell, behold, Lord, you are there. God is everywhere. He is omnipresent. There is no place you can go that God is not near. In fact, what I would say is God is but a breath prayer away. Help, Lord, a breath prayer. But then there is, there's another kind of presence. It is the manifest presence of God. The manifest presence of God we find in many uh, visible and tangible ways. In this context, there was a cloud by day that would go over the camp that would keep them protected from the sun being too hot and scorching the people. There was a cloud that would rest upon the tabernacle when they built this, this tent that God gave them. There was a cloud, and this is the manifest presence of God. And when Moses went to the tent of meeting, there was a cloud that would be on it by day, and they would know the presence of God was there. At nighttime, there was a pillar of fire that was there at nighttime, and they would know God is resting right there in that place. This is the manifest presence of God. Jesus, the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, is the manifest presence of God. We beheld Him as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Jesus, the manifest presence of God. But there is also another kind of presence. It is the glorious presence of God. 
Moses and Elijah both experienced this when they were on the, the, the cliff and the, the storm went by and the thunder and the lightning and God wasn't in any of that, but he was in a still, small voice. God was gloriously showing his presence. Also, we see that David, when he went into battle, gloriously God would show up and the enemies would be routed because of the glorious presence of God. They couldn't always see God working and doing something, but they ended the day with a victory, the glorious presence of God. Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, it says that there was a glory that so filled the house that even the priest could not stand to minister because the glory that filled the house. When Hannah brings her young son Samuel to dedicate him to the house of the Lord in the service of God forever. There is a glorious presence that goes all around the area. There is this glory that filled the house. The prophet Isaiah said that he saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple and the glory of the Lord so settled upon the place that he knew that he was in the presence of God. So much so that, uh, that Isaiah said, I am an unclean man, Lord, my lips are unclean. My people, the people I live around, they are not worthy to be in your presence, the glorious presence of God. On the day of Pentecost, in that upper room, 120 faithful had gone to gather and they experienced, as it were, cloven tongues of fire that sat upon each and every one of them. And they began to speak in other languages and they began to glorify God, spilling out into the streets, telling of all the great and glorious things which God was doing, the glorious presence of God. And maybe there have been some times when you have truly sensed that God is in the place. There was some type of of experience that you had and that you can look back with fond memories that yes, I know without a shadow of a doubt, I didn't see God with my natural eyes, but in my spirit, I knew the glorious presence of God was there. Now these people, the ones that were traveling with Moses, they experienced both the manifest presence of God, the omnipresence of God, and also the glorious presence presence of God. Now you would think that people who've experienced all of these things would walk a narrow line, right? They would never mess up. They would never go astray, right? You would think that, but the human condition is such that we get a little bit used to the familiar. When it's familiar to us, it becomes kind of normal. Exodus 33, verses 12 and 14, then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I will know you uh, by name and that you have found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way. The NIV says, teach me your ways, that I may know you and that I might find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses is having this conversation with God. Watch what he does here. I think Moses is just a little bit frustrated at this point. He's a little bit agitated. He has perfectly subscribed and walked out everything God has asked him to do to this point. A burning bush, I go to Pharaoh. I go to Pharaoh again and again until finally 10 times I go to Pharaoh. And now we have a Passover. 
And now what are we going to do? They're running us out of the land. And God says, okay, go over and get out of the land. Go to the Red Sea. Now I'm at the Red Sea. What do I do? Lift up your hands. I'm going to part the Red Sea. He parts it on dry land. Now what am I going to do? Come to the mountain and talk to me. Come back down from the mountain. People are, are uh, rebelling again. Now what am I going to do? Every time he is obeying the voice of God, and here he says, God, you said that I'm favored. You said that I'm chosen. You told me to go up. You said that I have grace in your sight. But who are you going to send? These people are not ready to go with you. And you already told me that you're not going to let your presence go. Now what do I do? I'm lost without you, God. And so God says to him, surely you have found grace in my sight. And I will go with you. And my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. Rest. In the presence of God there is perfect rest. Now, what does that mean? What does rest really mean in a day and age today when we are bombarded with busyness, with hurry sickness, with just a couple more things? I read the other day, someone said, being an adult is like telling someone, wait for a couple more weeks and we can have that appointment when things slow down. And things never end up slowing down, do they? Because we're all the time in a rush. We're all the time in a hurry. And God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I don't know about you, but that word sounds pretty good to me. Amen. Rest. Rest in the presence of God is not ceasing normal activity. It is rather understanding that in all of your normal duties and all of your normal activity, you don't have to be overwhelmed. You don't have to be overcome, but you can turn it over to the Lord. You can cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Amen. Rest is what God offers in his presence. Yeah. Resting in the presence of God is something that rejuvenates our soul. It brings back vitality. It brings back health into our bones. Rest is something that God gives us as a blessing, as a commandment. He worked six days and on the seventh of creation, what did God do? He rested. What are we commanded to do? To observe the Sabbath and to keep it holy. It is holy unto the Lord. One day out of every seven, a day of rest a day of recollecting and praising and worshiping and going back to what God has told us that he will do for us. Now, continuing the conversation here, we get to verse 15. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. God said, my presence can't go because the people... They're stiff-necked. Moses said, wait a minute, I thought I found grace and favor in your sight. Oh, you have. And after pleading with the Lord, the Lord promises Moses, I will go with you. You've been obedient to me, Moses. I will go with you. And now what, here's what Moses is saying. If your presence does not go with us, <laughs> look what he, Moses is the ultimate in humility with leadership. It's not good enough for Moses to just have a relationship with God. He wants all of his people. He wants all of his tribe. He wants everyone, even the outcast, even the downtrodden, even the idol worshipers. He's saying, I want all of us to go up with you. And if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. Here's what Moses said. No presence, no go. If your presence don't go, I'm staying right here. How many of us have that kind of tenacity with God to say, God, I don't want to move unless you say move. 
I'm not going to get out of this place unless you say get out of this place. I have staked a claim by faith according to your word. And if your presence doesn't move, I'm staying put. Joshua, a little bit later, we see when he takes the, the reins from Moses and he t actually brings the people into the promised land. Here's how Joshua frames it. He said, I don't care what other people are doing. I could care less about what the neighbors say. I don't care what pop culture wants. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen. I'm going to go with God. And if your presence don't go, then I'm not going to go. Verse 16, for how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go up with us so that we shall be separate, your people and I, from all of the earth, from all the people on the face of the earth. There was a sanctification, a setting apart of the people of God versus the people of all the other nations. You know that when you say yes to Jesus, your life gets marked with a distinction of difference. And that doesn't mean that you're so holy and righteous that you put your nose up in the air that if it rains, you're gonna drown. No, you don't need to do that. But when you say yes to Jesus, your life is marked with a distinctive mark of difference. There's something different about your decisions. There's something different about your conversation. There's something different about how you use your money. There's something different about how you use your influence. There's something distinctive about you because you are one who belongs to another. You have been yoked with the Lord. And he said, these people around us won't know unless you go with us. Verse 18, and he said, please show me your glory. Please show me your glory. I would think of all people on the earth at this time that Moses having experienced the burning bush, all of the great miracles of God, he has been in the very presence of God. He has spoken to the Lord. The Bible says, as a man would speak face to face with his friend. And yet he is still at this place saying, show me your ways, show me your glory. You know what that tells me? Is that the closer you get to the holy fire of God, the more you're drawn to the holy fire of God. The more of God you get, the more of God you want. Don't criticize somebody else for running down the aisle or coming down for prayer or, or doing a little happy dance to the Lord when they hear that song. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know what they're seeking. You don't know where they're pressing into because the closer you get to God, the more you want of God. The closer you get to that fire, the more warm you feel to be drawn to that fire. And Moses asked this of God, please show me your glory. This is a humble request, but it's a bold request. And I wonder today how many of us in the consecration of our heart will say unto God, this year, the year of presence in this congregation, show me your glory. Show me your ways. Let me know your inner workings. Show me how you do it, God. Show me what you want. And then he goes on, and I like this part. Here's what he says, verse 21. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while it passes by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And the reason why is that no man can see the Lord and live. God is too holy. 
But he granted Moses' request to show him the glory by saying, I'll give you but a glimpse. And I like this part. He says, here's a place, Moses, by me. Here's a place. Did you know that God has a place for you? God has a space for you. There's enough room at the side of God, in the presence of God, for you. God said, Moses, I've got a place. Just come here next to me. I'll show you my glory. John Brevere said it like this. Moses' reward was not a promised land, but rather a promise of his presence. God has a place. God has a land. God has a fulfillment of a promise for you. God has something for you that you can have. But more than any of the tangibility, more than any of the mapped out land, more than any of the blessings that you get in your life, God has a promise of his presence for you. And getting to that place, sitting by the side of Jesus, being right next to God, that is the highest achievement of a Christian. That is the highest goal, to be in the presence of God, to be found with him, to be much with him, often with him to be in his presence. Now, if you know the story, you know that Moses ends up leading these people for 40 years. And yet, because of one impetuate moment of anger, he's not able to go into the promised land. He's prevented from going into the land. The presence of God was with Moses all of his life, he served God faithfully, but there was something that happened that caused him not to be able to enter into that promised land. You'll find it in Deuteronomy 32. One Jewish teaching tells us that to see something is the same as possessing it. We say it like this, seeing is believing. But in Jewish culture, they say it like this, seeing is having. Watch what God does to Moses in Deuteronomy 32. He tells him in verse 48 and 49 that he can go up to the mountain and he can view the land of Canaan, the promised land, that he can view it with his eyes. In verse 52, he says, yet you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go in there into the land which I'm giving to the children of Israel. But before Moses died, he was able to see the land, which was God's mercy, allowing this 120 year old man who wasn't gonna make the journey across, to be able to possess the land by what he saw. Now this has a positive and a negative. The negative is this, be careful what you let in your eye gate because it gets into your heart and you possess it in your soul. That's why it's so vitally important that we guard our eye gate. We don't let things in there that would clog up and obstruct our view of God. But here's the positive thing. The positive is when we see with our eyes, we read the word of God, we see with our eyes the goodness of God around us. When we see with our eyes blessing, our lives blessing someone else, doing for others what they cannot do for themselves, what we are doing is we are possessing a promise. When we are 
walking with and in the presence of God all of the time, recognizing that even in the mundane, even in the ho-hum, even in the usual of our lives, God's presence is there. We are possessing a land of promise. This year, today, do you desire the glory of God? Do you want more of the presence of God? Like I said, he's omnipresent, he's there, but there is something that manifests as our hearts draw near to God. Or are we just content, content to observe through the lives of others, their blessing of God, the testimonies of others. Yeah, God did it for them. I don't know if he can do it for me. If he did it for them, he can do it for you. If it's in this book, he can do it for you. God's word is true. And here's what God said to Moses. And I'm gonna close by saying this to you. God said, Moses, come on over here by my side. There's a place, there's a place for you with heads bowed and no one looking around between you and God right now. Do you desire that place? There's a place for you in his presence. Do you desire that place? You can be there. I'm gonna pray a corporate prayer. I'm gonna open up these altars. If you need to pray, now is the time. You can stand up, you can come on down. If you're watching us online, there's a place you can click right there and let us know that you need prayer. Someone will reach out, we'll pray with you. But right now together, corporately, if your heart's cry is that you want to experience the presence of God, then all you need to do is say yes. Pray with me. God, we thank you that you have provided a way into your presence. His name is Jesus. Today, we confess before you, we need Jesus. We clear out of our lives and repent of our sin, anything that stands between us and you. We say, come Lord, come with your presence. We wanna take that place that you have promised in your presence. We wanna be that people who will walk with you, abide with you and be with you. God, we want your presence. This year, today, we want your presence and we will be the people you have called us to be. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.